You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Proverbs 20, verse 1. The question in the Bible study is, what popular body and soul-destroying substance does the Bible forbid use of? And it quotes from Proverbs 20 and verse 1. This is uh, just one passage on alcohol, um, and certainly it's a clear one. But undoubtedly, when you study the topic of alcohol, if you're talking to people who are, you know, have been Christians, most denominations are just fine with a moderate use of alcohol. And what do they point to, or what reasons would they give for a moderate use of alcohol? Because Noah was drunk? Okay, let's talk about Noah being drunk. Why would we not believe that that was reason enough to support moderate use of alcohol? Because of the consequences. Okay, for one, the consequences. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. Right? Because of what happened. But what do we know about how we read the Bible and how we interpret the Bible that should help us not to use that as a justification for drinking alcohol? What would you explain to somebody? Perhaps something like this. Not everything that the Bible describes does it prescribe. Did you follow that? So not every description is a prescription. So the Bible is full of, of just the life lived by the people of God with all of its positives and negatives, all of its good deeds and wicked deeds. Um, and it often, often does not comment on it. In other words, it does not comment on whether it was good or not. It just says what they did. You cannot use what someone in a historical narrative did as support for doing it. Otherwise, you know, we could look to polygamy and we could look to David's transgressions and all kinds of things and start to justify ourselves through historical narratives. You cannot use historical narratives to justify. So that's how we would respond to that. Yes? Okay. So the sister is bringing out the Apostle Paul who told the young minister Timothy to do what? Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, how would you respond to that? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with my stomach, so I'm not, I don't need to do it. Okay, anybody else? What's that? It was Welch. Yeah, what kind of wine? Is that what you're going to say? Okay. Isaiah 65, verse 8 is a helpful verse when it comes to the topic of wine. Um, and people... Isaiah 65, verse 8. He says, uh, Thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. Now, in the Bible, both the Hebrew and Greek, there is only one word for 
wine, whether fermented or unfermented. Okay? How do we know that? Because of Isaiah 65, 8. It's one of the best ways. Because where is this wine? It's still in the cluster. Okay? So this is clearly not fermented wine, but it's calling it wine. Right? So now we know from Isaiah 65, 8 that the Bible refers to pure grape juice as wine. And we have to then look at the context to be able to know if it's talking about fermented or unfermented. Now, admittedly, okay, I'm not going to stand up here and say this is just such an obvious issue. Admittedly, this is not a totally black and white issue, and it does take some, you know, common sense and some interpretation, but the Bible is clear that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is uh, fooled by it is not wise. And there are uh, you know, other passages in Proverbs that you have in your lesson that point to the dangers of drinking alcohol. Whether, and and I've, the thing about it is, there are some explanations, and I'll share with you a couple. They might not have 100% how uh, do I want to say? Positivity, okay? Because I'll hear different scholars who have slightly different takes on it. But I've heard some pretty powerful uh, um, positions put forward. Um, I know that back in the day, Bakayoki was a scholar who talked a lot about how, you know, about the fermentation process and how he went back into the history and, and how they preserved the, the juice so that it would not ferment and a variety of different things. Um, so that's what it takes, is people go back and they try to look at what they did back then, okay? I just um, was discussing this with another scholar who said that the real issue was they had something back in antiquity where basically the issue was the water. If you look in, if you look in um, the Holy Land, uh, the water was not like everywhere. Okay, it was very difficult to get pure, clean water. It was very difficult. So what they did, oftentimes, to purify water was what they called three in one: three parts water, one part wine. And they would do that to actually purify the water. Um, you have to keep in mind, they did not have what we have today. So if somebody were to drink three parts water and one part wine, and that were to remove the contaminants from the water, would that be somebody drinking for intoxication? No. So why would we not do that today? Because we can get Aquafina, right? I mean, like, this is not unnecessary. So the point is, even if they did drink a little bit because they had to use it to purify water, it's, it's not a problem. And, and this particular scholar I was talking to said that that is the explanation of Paul. It's not that he was saying to take grape juice, which that's kind of always been my view, is that have a little wine for your stomach, was talking about pure juice, because it has positive elements to it. But what he was actually saying was to, um, to make sure that you decontaminate, purify the water. You know, 
historically, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around which way it is. But I will say that we have enough very clear statements in Scripture against the drinking of wine for intoxication, if you will, that we know that it's forbidden by Scripture. Exactly why there were certain times where they had to, or, you know, in some cases as a painkiller before they're dying or something. I mean, that's a different use, okay? It's not talking about recreational use of alcohol. It's a totally different situation. So the Bible is opposed to recreational use of alcohol, and we can say that pretty clearly. Was that USL or USL here? Right. Because their judgment would be would be uh, messed up, right? And when you talk about Jesus turning water into wine again, you have to look at the context. The context, uh, purely, you know, from what you see, you have these. I mean, if you look at the amount, the quantity that was there, was Jesus partying? Like, is that what they're saying? That this is all alcoholic wine? They're just, you want to just get everybody drunk. We know that that could not be the case. And so, because we have to look at context, because we now we know from Isaiah 65, 8, that it can be both fermented or unfermented, then they can't prove that, and they, the burden of proof is on them to prove it because it makes no sense for Jesus to create that type of, or that quantity of alcoholic wine, etc. The Bible is clear. We have those, those examples, but we also have some clear statements um, in Proverbs. So let's, let's move past that, but I, I did want to talk about it for a little bit because it is um, something that you will, when you give a Bible study, people will ask the questions. So let's look at number five. What kind of diet did God get to mankind in the beginning? I'm not going to go uh, real deep into this because we have too many things to cover. Um, so I'm just going to zip through some of this now. Um, can you tell me, what uh, we read about here in Genesis chapter 1, what kind of diet it was? Okay. Fruits, nuts, and grains. Plant-based. And then, uh, and then later vegetables. Um, but ultimately, it was, it was totally vegetarian. And when did God instruct man in eating of animals? Number six. Okay. After the flood. And what do we, um, what do we see that's very important in the story of Noah for our understanding of meat eating and, and unclean meats. What's a very important part of the Noah flood story that we need to remember when we're talking to people about unclean foods? Okay, so there were more clean animals that went into the ark by far than unclean, and we can, we can infer from that that... Obviously, if there was just one pair, then God was not allowing them to eat either of those because then they would be extinct. So the clean animals were both for sacrifice and for food. And if you read in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, it makes the very logical assumption um, that because the vegetation was destroyed uh, through the flood, that was why God had to allow the eating of flesh meat. Of course, we know that there were some prohibitions against certain things, even with the eating of clean meat. And what were those? No fat, no blood, right? Um, 
It makes me think back to the day when I used to eat meat many, many years ago. And you go in the grocery store and they have those white, uh, you know, styrofoam plates that they put the meat on and pull it up and it's bleeding. <laughs> or, oh, you know, now I think about it with much disdain, but some people, um, they like that. And the truth is, there is an element in meat eating that is related to that element that is kind of uh, part of what people like. And so, you know, but the Lord made it very clear. Now, some people will say um, that means that the only way to eat clean meat is if, you know, you're sure that that thing has been squeezed so dry and, and they get a little bit crazy about it. Because you understand that there are a lot of people who become Seventh-day Adventists who still eat meat, okay? And we do not say that you, you know, the Bible does not say that meat is permitted, or is not permitted. It just says unclean meat. So that being the case, we don't want to put on people some unnecessary strain or burden that really was not even put on the children of Israel. We, we like to think that when they drained them, that that meant they squeezed everything possible drop of anything but no no um, it doesn't mean that you know they ignored it but it's certainly um, we don't want to strain at a gnat okay if people eat clean meat and they are making that decision and they're they're discarding unclean meat we should be thankful for that tell them the prohibition about blood and fat and leave it there okay and uh, that's they're they're well on their way to a more healthful life. So the wise mother in Israel here is explaining to us that that we might approach things differently if somebody is newly studying the truth to somebody who has been a Seventh-day Adventist for a long time and has been familiar with uh, certain things, we can maybe have a little more advanced conversation. I will say this, when I'm studying with people who um, are not Seventh-day Adventists and I'm just going through studies the first time, I don't just relinquish the vegetarian idea. Like I don't just oh, only talk about unclean meats from Leviticus 11 and then, and, then, and then not talk about vegetarianism. I talk about vegetarianism because I think that we can biblically support that a vegetarian diet is the optimal diet. And uh, let me tell you how I, how I normally do that. I'm not sure if it's in this text, but I go to Matthew 19, verse 7. The Pharisees here are speaking to Jesus, and it says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, what? It was not so. And the reason I read that text is for this reason. What was Jesus in this text saying about the beginning? Garden of Eden? Okay. But what was the point he was making? Why did he even say, but from the beginning it was not so? Who cares whether it was not so from the beginning or not? Why did he say that? What was the point he was, why was he using the beginning? How was he using the beginning for his argument? That was God's ideal, right? 
This is before sin, and Jesus points back to the beginning to say, okay, Moses may have permitted this, but from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, if you really want to know God's ideal for humanity, you go all the way back to the beginning, and there you have it. And so we have in the beginning the Sabbath, right? We have in the beginning marriage. We have in the beginning a vegetarian diet. And it was how God intended for humanity to live. Yes. When we're talking about a biblical argument, that I, and I do share this with people. I, I go to that text, Matthew 19. I talk about the diet in the beginning, which we have the text here. And then I also talk about heaven. Because what do we know will not be in heaven? Death. And, it, and some people have never thought this through. There's going to be no death in heaven. And that means there will be no... Now, will there be eating in heaven? How do we know there will be eating in heaven? It's the fruit on the tree, right? I work with uh, my colleague in Sabbath School First Ministries. The director is from the Dominican Republic. And he loves mangoes. So he says that the 12 fruit on the tree are 12 different kinds of mangoes. That's what we're going to get. So in case you were wondering what it was going to be, and we're going to speak Spanish, by the way. Anyway, but the point is, in heaven there will be no meat eating. In the beginning, there was no meat eating. So hey, why not start now? Like, that's a good argument. That's a biblical argument. We're not mandating, but we are saying it is the ideal, and that's clearly shown, and it will be that way again when we get to heaven. So, yes, you can eat meat that's clean according to the Bible. It's, it's not a sin to do so, but it would be for your good and for your benefit to work toward an ideal diet. And that's where you start just educating on the benefits of a vegetarian diet. Anyway, that being said, um, let's, let's keep moving along. This particular lesson goes into... Uh, how long the Bible says these health laws were to be in effect. Does anybody know what this says in Isaiah 66? Verses 15 to 17, and specifically check out verse... Uh, well, verse 15 says the Lord will come with fire and with His chariot. So what event are we talking about? Second coming. And verse 17 speaks about those who will not fare well at this time. Um, it speaks about those who go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse, and that they shall be consumed together. So here we have a reference to unclean meat that is still a prohibition all the way at the second coming. So it's very clear that these laws will be in effect all the way to the end. So the rest of this study is is very good, um, but I'm not going to go through it because we have other things to go through. But I do want to touch on briefly um, caffeinated beverages. It's not in the Bible, right? So how do you support, biblically, the Seventh-day Adventist view that we should not um, drink caffeinated beverages? Okay, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Pray that, you're, that you prosper just as your soul prospers. Yes, your health just as your soul. 
Yes, yes. So this is kind of the distinction that I make when I give a Bible study. And you can you know, use whatever persuasion that, that means the most to you. Um, but what I explain to people is we have in the Scripture this prohibition of alcohol, right? And this prohibition is based on the addictive nature and the destructive nature of alcohol, right? The Bible doesn't say anything about smoking. The Bible doesn't say anything about cocaine or drugs or whatever. But most Christians understand that these things are destructive to your body, and when you read these texts, the principle is very clear that we should not be destructive to our bodies. So then we just point out to people what they often do not know, which is that caffeine is a drug. Now what about caffeine's word structure gives you the sense that it's a drug? Okay, it's addictive. I'm talking about the word itself. It's a clue. It's the ene at the end, right? Can you think of any other drugs that end with an I-N-E? Nicotine? Codeine? Heroin? Cocaine? Right? It's a drug. Everybody understands that it's a drug. It may be a milder drug, but it is a drug. Because of that, it also is not just behaviorally addictive, but it is physically addictive. Okay? You have withdrawals from it. Now, I know this because I used to drink a lot of coffee. I was, uh, you know, I worked before I was a pastor. I worked in the corporate world, and I was a plant controller, um, and there was a manufacturing facility right behind us, and so the workroom where we could go in, we had all free coffee machines. So I would go to that free coffee machine and just hit the button. You could hit any button you wanted. Sugar, cream, hot chocolate, mix it all together. It was like dessert. And I would do that first thing in the morning. And then after a while, I saw that I needed to do it again like mid-morning, you know, because you get that little lull. And then, of course, after lunch, oh, you know, you got to do something. And then you get late in the day, and of course, oh, you know, you're getting worn out. By, by the end of the day, you have to have a, you know, jump start, a kick of caffeine four to five times through the workday. And I, at that same time, while I was doing that, I began to study my Bible, I began to um, become familiar with the Seventh-day Adventist message, and I began to learn what Seventh-day Adventists teach about caffeine. I also learned what Seventh-day Adventists teach about water. No, we, we don't think that you have to give up water. I'm not. But we think you need to drink a lot of it. And I did not drink water. Like, I did not drink hardly any water. So I made a decision. Yeah, there's water in my coffee. Why do I need water? So I made the decision that I was going to stop drinking coffee and drink water in place of it. So what I did was, in the morning, when I went to work, and I would normally get coffee, I drank a large glass of water, right, right from the start, the beginning of my day. You're not going to believe it, but I actually had more energy from that big, tall glass of water than I ever got from the coffee. Well, maybe in the beginning I, from the coffee, but certainly not for a long time had I had that. And you understand how caffeine works, right? You, you drink, you know, you're moving like this in your life, not needing coffee, you're fine. And then you start to do it, and boom, 
picks you up. And then when you drop down, you drop down a little lower than you were before. So it gets to the point where you need coffee to get where? Up here? No. To just get back here. It becomes like you need more and more and more of it just to get back to, to functioning semi-normally. And so, instead of where I had gotten to where I was just kind of tired, it wasn't really helping anymore, I had bad breath, all the rest, now I had water, I had energy, and I found that it was not chaining me anymore. I didn't have to drink it. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to not be addicted to something. And my personal conviction is that the Bible is helping us to see, the Apostle Paul says we should not be mastered by anything. That there is no reason that a Christian should ever partake of something that is physically addictive recreationally. That is playing with fire and is not a wise or Christian practice. So we as Seventh-day Adventists believe that if it is mind-altering and addictive, then we will not use it for recreational purposes. That's alcohol, tobacco, caffeinated beverages, etc. And by putting it in that same category and helping them to understand it's because it's mind-altering and addictive, and we're talking about its recreational use, then uh, people at least begin to see and, and appreciate it. So we, we have drugs in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, we call them, um, you know, nutrition, exercise, water, sunlight, <laughs> temperance, <laughs> fresh air. Right, the eight doctors. So anyway, um, and we, we talk prevention and health and what have you. So when I study the Bible with somebody, I give an overall view of that, okay? But I just want to make sure you know you're here to learn these topics, but you're also, I hope, here because you're wanting to study these things with people. And if you're wanting to study with people, just know that the issue of caffeine is not an easy issue to study with people. So that's why I'm talking to you. You need to think it through, what you would, what you would say, because you don't want to be just, hey, it's not good for you, it's whatever. They're reading stuff that says it's good for you. You know, they're reading it. I have articles. Whenever you find an article, now that you're thinking I give Bible studies, you need to be looking. When you find an article that says, you know, I have a couple of them that point out that there is no good that comes from caffeinated beverages. The, the, uh, some of the tests that they do with people who, um, you know, get a little sl slightly higher test score or something, they did not control for caffeine drinkers. So a caffeine drinker is going to need caffeine in order to uh, operate at a more optimal level. Um, but I have some fantastic you know, articles that I've read on caffeine, and I keep them. Because when I'm studying with people, I want them to understand there are a lot of things that are very destructive that are not in the Bible because the Bible didn't really speak to those issues. They weren't, they weren't the prominent issue at that time. We could look to different cultures and have different types of drugs and drinks and things that we could be talking about. But the bottom line is, the principles are there, and we believe that the principle stands. And, and, and if you have a logical, clear argument, then you'll be successful at, at persuading people to do uh, what's best for their health. All right, let's have a brief prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the study on health. We pray that these especially challenging areas that we study with people about, um, 
unclean foods, but specifically the vegetarian diet and the optimal diet, as well as uh, substances that can be addictive and destructive. Lord, as we seek to persuade people that their health is a significant part of their spiritual lives, we pray that you give us wisdom and help. Now bless us as we have a short break and uh, continue with one more session. In Jesus' name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.